Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick second to shout out our friends at QDB.com. That's C-U-E-D-B.com. QDB is a cloud-based software that allows you to make your own customizable cue lists for spotting, composition, orchestration, mixing, and cue sheet delivery. If you'd like to try it out, use the code COMPOSERTALK for 15% off for one year. Cool. Our next guest is a Korean-American film composer and multi-instrumentalist. The first American composer to have been selected as a BAFTA breakthrough talent. His scores include critically acclaimed feature film Cowboys and Holler. Also an artist in residence and national advisory council co-chair at the U-Cross Foundation. His work spans across film, music, theater, XR, instrumental compositions, and songwriting, among many (laughs) other things. (laughs) And the composer is Gene Back. Hey. (laughs) Hey, how's it going? Sorry, did I get the pronunciation of your last name right? Um, it's back, uh, back. like, okay. like you're back. Yeah. Although yeah. Uh, technically it's, it's Peck. Um, in, right. yeah, like it, it's just, it's funny how Korean names can have just multiple spellings for the same name. <laughs> for sure. Well, yeah, it's such a pleasure to, uh, to see you. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me. Yeah. How's life been recently? Uh, well, I just learned that I need to get a wisdom tooth taken out. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so that sucks. <laughs> Dude, that's like one of my biggest fears. My brother had his like, I think he had too many teeth grow in when he was like eight or 10 and he had to get them removed that young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tip- typically you're supposed to get them all removed like when, you know, you're a teenager. And right. I, 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 but, uh, you know, they, sometimes they, if they're not like bothersome, they leave it alone. And of course- the one tooth that has stayed dormant and behaved for all this time is now, you know, <laughs> rearing its head. And uh, so anyway, that's the most um, excitement I think I could say that I've had this week. <laughs> um, but other than that, you know, things are great. I, I'm, you know, I've been staying super busy. Um, I'm, I'm actually working on on multiple films you know um at the, at the same time <laughs> thankfully they're kind of spread out with their you know schedules and things so uh yeah it's it's been good this might be a bit of a weird question but mm. i know like with the like, covid vaccines and things just in terms of like health as a composer like it with the wisdom tooth thing i mean you're going to be out for like a day like do you like think about scheduling you know, like your appointments around you know deadlines and all that uh, not so much deadlines. I think mostly it's um, like meetings and in-persons that I have to be like um, kind of considerate of because, I, I you know, I don't want to be showing up to, a, <laughs> you know, a director's office or something with a big swollen mouth and I can't talk. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, deadlines or things in which I'm working on my own, it really doesn't matter. You know, I work from my home studio, so it's not like um, 
I mean, yes, it, it, it's uncomfortable to compose and create when you're in pain, <laughs> in physical pain, but that doesn't usually stop me, you know, from delivering. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I guess going back then in terms of like your musical upbringing and all that. So I feel like we had a pretty similar thing where you, you start on a violin, right? And then you uh-huh. learn guitar on your own. Yeah, I um, I started violin kind of late, actually, or at least that's what they say in the classical world. You know, I uh, I started when I was seven, uh, and classically uh, as a classical player, and then um, by the time I hit my early teen years, is when I I taught myself guitar. Well, that's not technically true. My my older sister actually taught me. My first three chords, which are G, D, and C, you know, the building blocks of any pop song. <laughs> and from there, I, I, I just, um, I took it from there and, uh, and really fell in love with it. Um, you know, I was obsessed with uh, folk, uh, uh, you know, fr- from American folk to British folk, like Nick Drake and John Fahey and a lot of finger style. I actually, that was really my my first love was was finger style acoustic guitar when you say first love that was like the first time you like loved music or that's when i was like oh my god i could do this all day you know violin was something that i i liked to do and it was never something that like my family um uh like pushed on me or anything um but uh, it's not something that I spent like a lot of time practicing, <laughs> much to my, you know, violin teacher's uh, dismay. <laughs> uh, but you know, when it when it came to playing guitar and and writing songs, it was something that I was just obsessed with. You know, I, I could spend hours until my fingers, you know, were sore from from building calluses, <laughs> and um, so yeah, for sure, yeah. I remember like hating violin as a kid, but like kind of thankful for it now. But uh, yeah, no, it was just like I think when Guitar Hero Three came out, that was like the moment I like thought I like loved music. Oh and yeah, yeah. Wanted to play guitar soon after. Well, you know the cool thing about learning the violin first is that because of the motor skills that you develop uh, from playing an instrument like the violin, which is incredibly an incredibly detailed. Uh, type of instrument, you know, it's unlike the guitar, which has frets and, and, and all that, you know, violin, you just have to be, you, you have to be so trained with your ear and what, you know, how to play in tune. And I feel like playing, like learning the, the violin enables you to be able to pick up other stringed instruments fairly easily, or at least easier, in my opinion, than if you just started off with guitar. Um, you know, with the violin, you can play the mandolin, you can play the guitar, you can play the viola, although I'm sure violas don't love hearing that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I even dabbled a little bit with the cello, uh, but I'm terrible at it. But regardless, it's still, I, I can kind of get around it just because of the finger training that that you get from uh, playing the violin. Sure. And when did you get into like producing music or um, recording and all that? Uh, yeah, I mean, around the same time when I started writing songs. And so, you know, back then, um, I think it, it was like Pro Tools 7 
like with the <laughs> with some of those early M boxes, you know, that's uh, although before that I was recording on those like roll in digital zip disk eight tracks, <laughs> which were actually pretty pretty great. They they sounded really good, but um, I th- that was the beginning of of me recording myself. You know, I actually recorded a full length album in my parents' basement with you know one microphone and. A, a, a cheap uh, a two preamp, and, you know, directly into this digital A-track. And um, so I guess that would be the beginning of my journey as a recording artist, you know, so to speak. Um, but And then over time, you know, I started going into Pro Tools and recording digitally on the computer. But I, I would say the biggest period of growth for me like producing and 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 really getting into the weeds of like engineering and stuff was when um i started like really composing composing uh in advertising so that that those were actually my first like composing gigs quote unquote um was uh composing for ads and and that was i was learning on the spot i had no idea what i was doing at the time but it's kind of amazing what a deadline and a ton of pressure can do to motivate you to learn things. And, you know, with YouTube, I mean, you could learn anything <laughs> like, how do I do this? How, what's the key command for that? Or what's the best way to mix this? Or, you know, so I didn't go to school for any of this. My school was pretty much YouTube <laughs> uh, and on the job you know, training. Yeah. I mean, with like mixed with the masters out there and, uh, or I mean, actually just that alone, it's like $320 a year versus, you know, uh-huh. going to like AES or, or that's not a school. Sorry. That's the program. Uh, yeah. What's that one in like full sale or something? Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. Uh-huh. The uh-huh. price and like, it has quality of content, especially while like teaching is remote right now too. Anyways, like it's I kind know. of insane. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I'm not going to, say I'm like some great engineer. I mean, I I don't know (laughs) most of the stuff that like these really, you know, talented, dedicated engineers know. I mean, that that is their profession. That's not my profession. I don't profess to be like really an engineer, although I know how to get my way around Pro Tools and, you know, I'm pretty good at understanding how different uh, pieces of outboard gear works, although in the digital form, I'm a big universal audio user so um that's actually how i learned it's so funny because they you know those models are so good and so authentic that when Mm -hmm. i whenever i go to a physical studio and i see like a real la2a or let's say you know uh, a 1073 the buttons are exactly the same and i'm like oh this is exactly like how it is on the computer (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I think we're so lucky to live in this time in which, you know, you can learn that way, you know, you, you, you don't need to spend, you know, you could even spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in this type of gear. Uh, but thankfully, you know, you don't have to, (laughs) and, and you can get your way around those things fairly easily these days. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that, like, I feel like a lot of people who start off on hardware have been switching. Maybe this isn't fully true in the universal sense, but, like, I think I know a lot of, like, engineers who started off on 
physical consoles who've since uh-huh. gone to fully in the box, but then people who start in the box want to go buy the real stuff later. <laughs> I, I mean, like, don't get me yeah. wrong. I would love to, you know, get a few pieces. I, I actually had a few pieces of really nice outboard gear, which I gave mm-hmm. away to my friends because I just don't have the time to fiddle around with, with those settings and like, right. you know, and especially once you start getting into patching, it's like, my God, when when I'm when I need to deliver a queue in a day, I I can't really spend the time to like, you know, do all this patching and like configuration and tweaking and it's um it it, it for me it really comes down to time time management which uh, maybe I hope one day I'll be able to like get to a point where I can say you know what. I'm going to spend a couple of days tweaking my compression levels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so true that, like, the other day yeah. I'm working on, like, a comedy movie and I have to record some electric guitar and it's like, do I pull out the, the old, like, maestro fuzz pedal and find the power supply for it? <laughs> or do right? I just go and open Amplitude? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. That's the, And, you know, you kind of cut your losses. Of, uh, of course, it sounds infinitely better. Um infinitely is a strong word i would say it, it i think for guys you know or you know people like us it's it's like um well it sounds it would sound better if i recorded an amp you know into a specific signal chain but i think that for like most people like the difference is fairly negligible. <laughs> uh, you know, recording in, in like the traditional sense versus recording digitally, like into amplitude or something. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I want to ask about the. Uh, so you did the Sundance Music Lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how was that experience? And like, like, can you talk a bit about like some of the projects you've been working on up until that point, and yeah, just film scoring experience. Yeah. Well, leading up to, you know, getting into the lab, uh, I, I said earlier that I, I was doing primarily ad work. And so when, um, and I was doing full-time ad work and I was lucky in that because of my, uh, skill set, um, and that I could record violin and all these other instruments myself, you know, I had a bit of an edge, you know, I could, create very cinematic pieces you know that you could hear in a movie for uh you know the kinds of ads that require that sort of sound and so thankfully i could work on on these commercials and branded content campaigns that were like little movies and you know shot by big directors and stuff like that and so, um, but then eventually that got pretty old, you know, I mean, and there's, it's at the end of the day, you're still doing a minute of music or 30 seconds sometimes or 15. And I think now it's down to five, <laughs> but, um, you know, then I started to actively really look for, um, collaborators, filmmakers, you know, people doing shorts. And it was something that I really, really, uh, wanted to do and and shift towards and so um you know i hadn't done a single feature length film actually um leading up to that sundance lab and in fact my first feature came after doing the lab uh but you know it's interesting i had so much practice 
just cranking out music under ridiculous deadlines and uh, for so many years that like it wasn't a daunting sort of experience to go into scoring my first feature because it was just like oh well this is just a longer version of what I've been doing for several years <laughs> um and uh you know what what that experience at the lab taught me is um is uh just tapping into like a deeper creativity you know within myself because I'd spent a lot of time just you know fulfilling the asks of a brief which isn't necessarily all that creative you know like to, at its core you know as as like myself like what is my voice and that's something that i learned a lot um especially after the lab and you know and and during the lab of course but really it was um, that was a big moment for me as a as a creative person and mm -hmm. and how I want to make music, you know, how I want to give my voice to a story. Yeah. I mean I guess yeah, the whole the whole lab is an educational experience at the end of the day. And it's kind of funny. I feel like a lot of people think of it as like a right of way to being like a successful composer these days, but at its core it is supposed to teach you about the art of collaboration and mm -hmm experimentation as you said yeah it, it's it's really i mean hey look i i thought going into it oh my god maybe this is like my ticket right i mean i think that's what a lot of people think who are trying to get into you know the film scoring business but and i think it's it really depends on the person some people might use that experience as a way to say hey look i did that and so therefore you should hire me you know uh but but for me, it was really about my creative soul <laughs> and what that meant. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's scary, you know, because it's like you have to look really deep within yourself to understand what it is you want to say and what it is you want to do. And for me, it, you know, at, at the end of it, it wasn't about like, oh, my God, you know, this is going to be my connection to this and that. And while, yes, it can provide that if that's what you're really looking for um but i think the my biggest takeaway was about um just affirming my identity as an artist which is very abstract it's not encouraging you know for someone who wants to get work it's like well that's great but that doesn't pay the bills but actually it really can if if you allow it to yeah i mean i just like for whatever reason that just reminds me of like uh, I don't know if you saw the news uh, this week that uh, James Gunn is hiring uh, John Murphy to do the new Guardians of the Galaxy Volume oh, Three movie. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But like that all came about because like John put out this album called like Anonymous Rejected Film Score, huh. like six seven years ago, and James found it and just like fell in love with it and just like yeah, you know, it's just, like someone putting out music that felt great to them, you know, and mm -hmm. then. It will get ears eventually. And that took seven years, but now he's got two projects with the biggest director in action Hollywood movies. <laughs> that's such yeah. a cool story, actually. I think that sort of goes to the point that that I was making about like, hey, at the end of the day, you have to really love the music that you're making, if it's for a job or not. And um, 
you know, I, I think there's plenty of folks out there who can make great music for the job, but I think um, it shouldn't be, the artist's journey shouldn't be discounted in, in that. You know, I, I think that is so important if you really want to, um, you know, work on things that are meaningful to you personally, you know, as, as an artist. Um, yeah, but that's really cool that, you know, I love when that happens, when people just discover music that wasn't really intended for anything per se, or it just exists. You know, I love hearing stories, like, you know, a great example, one of my favorite composers is Johnny Greenwood, um, who obviously, you know, with Radiohead has had a real nice discography, but um, it's just so cool that you can hear his voice, like the same a similar voice you hear in Radiohead's music in his film scoring, which, which is just, and that's just unique. Nobody can copy that. And, and I, I love that so much. Same thing with like, you know, um, Ryuichi Sakamoto, who is a huge influence of mine. And I just love that he, he's not doing a hundred movies a year, you know, but he has, he does the right movies and he doesn't care. He's like doing his thing. Like he composes his own music and that's who he is as an artist. And I just dig that, man. I think that's just so powerful and important for all of us to, to remember, like, well, wh why do we do this? <laughs> is there an artist you're a fan of who to your knowledge, hasn't done a film score that you'd like to hear score a movie? Ooh, Huh. Living or dead? <laughs> Either. <laughs> huh. Let's see. Dead, I would say, I would love to hear Richard Strauss do a film score. I feel like something like his music is almost a precursor to film scoring just because, oh, well, maybe in the very art house way. <laughs> um, but living, oh man, who am I listening to these days? That's a, that's a really good question. I would love to hear Ariana Grande do a film score. Seriously, I think that'd be cool. Cause, Cause her vocal production is so amazing. The, like I could just listen to like that <laughs> as a film score or like someone like Imogen Heap, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of hers. I think her music is incredibly cinematic. Um, has she done? I feel like she must have. She must yeah. have, right? I don't know. It's a shame for the, the Mibu gloves to not be used on a score. <laughs> I know. Um, I don't look into that later. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, 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 other people, I, I wonder. Um, I guess that's that's all I've got top of my head right now. <laughs> for sure. Well, before we go into the last segment for the podcast, uh, just want to mention we were introduced by Kevin, and just whenever you could talk a bit about his work yeah. And, and yeah, I guess how we met. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Kevin is just an amazing guy. His whole team has been super, uh, just supportive and encouraging in releasing um the soundtrack for holler which is um 
the feature that I scored directed by Nicole Regal and um, and we got connected through through my agent actually um, Alexander Vangelos at First Artists and um, Love you know Alex. we yeah yeah he's he's awesome he's the best <laughs> um, we you know the uh, the soundtrack you know was something that, uh, look honestly I I really am terrible at the sometimes with the business stuff like I wasn't uh, like when I finish a project I'm like okay well what's the next thing <laughs> I gotta do you know I hardly even uh think about uh my own music which I should <laughs> and especially in terms of soundtracks and that was something that was really important especially with with Holler and Cowboys um which is the other uh feature that 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 Kevin's going to be releasing and um and so yeah we were just introduced and they were just you know really big fans of the music that I made uh for both movies and um and yeah I I guess I that's pretty much it in a nutshell um I just love their vibe and I'm excited about their new venture um and you know they're they're really experienced and you know I just uh, at the end of the day I want to work with people who are who are enthusiastic and and really care about uh the work that I do um because it just makes the process that much more enjoyable. <laughs> like, I don't want to force somebody or a label to like my music and say, can you please put this out? I'd rather not put it out at all. <laughs> or I'll just do it myself. Uh, but I'm so uh, thankful that Kevin and his team, um, y- you know, just uh, are not only fantastic human beings, but really love the work that I do. And so I couldn't think of a better partner to, to put out this music. Amazing. Well, I guess we'll go on to the final segment for the podcast now, a segment called Tech Talk, where I list off a tech topic and you can say as much or as little as you want about it. <laughs> uh, the first one here is DAW. I am a Pro Tools guy through and through. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I do all my sequencing all of my mixing, everything in Pro Tools. I mean, well, I heard Cowboys. Like, I, I felt like the production value was so cool. Like, it almost sounds like you don't really use, like, a ton of MIDI, too. Is that right? Well, on Cowboys, it was a little different in that I would say it's 80% live instruments. Hmm. So there is some MIDI. Is there? Yes, I mean, yeah, there are like a you know a few virtual instruments, of course, uh, but with a score like that, you know, um, it, I, it it really did require more live instrumentation, um, and so it's probably why it sounds more live than than not is is just because you know I I recorded there's one cue that has like really heavy drums in it, and I could have used um, MIDI drums. But I actually mixed, I think, both MIDI drums and live drums. Like, I just cool. played, a, you know, there's something to the attack and also, um, like, just natural room tone from hitting a, a, a natural drum that you just can't really get um, mm-hmm. with 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 VIs. Uh, sometimes it works, but for what I was trying to get, I was really trying to get that bite, you know, um, that you get from a live drum. Cool. What are your go-tos for... Uh... VI drums. 
Uh, well, it depends on the application, you know. I mean, um, my go-to for like rock drums is actually the Abbey Road uh, drums in, from Contact, the Native Instruments Abbey Road's kit. It's uh, really intuitive and sounds good. Um, and uh, uh, for like kind of big orchestral drums, I use um, the East West uh, Storm Drum. Oh, nice. Uh, I think I use Storm Drum 3. <laughs> I don't know what version they're on right now, but that's that's been very useful because it's got a whole range of like, you know, you got these big old whatever Tycho drums, but also you've got the small little gourd drums or even weird stuff like um, custom uh, like cajones and, you know, things like that, which which sound you know, fantastic. They're, they're, they're really helpful. Cool. Uh, next one here is violin mics. <laughs> so this is funny in that I, I actually use one mic for everything. <laughs> I'm trying to like change that. It's sort of like, you know, early in the conversation, we we're talking about the time that it takes to set things up. Right. So for me, and right now it, it's, it just takes it, it like that extra step is something that I'm, and call it laziness. Okay. <laughs> like <laughs> I just, I'm playing multiple things. Like I'm literally just doing this, you know, with my mic, my one mic, which is uh, a Shure KSM 44A. It's nothing fancy, Ooh. but it's a, it's a good mic. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of bang for your buck because it has multiple polar patterns you know, it's um, it's a clean condenser. You know, it's it's, it's not tube, but it's um, it's very versatile. It, it's like the classic workhorse mic for me. And I yeah. will say though that oh, the next thing that I get <laughs> is going to be a mic for my violin. And so far, the two best mics that that respond to my playing specifically is a, a vintage 67 or a vintage KM84. And I'm and the new KM84s, you know, those are I I have had a, a lot of success with it and actually the first time that I experienced using a vintage KM84 was at Skywalker Sound. Hmm. And you know, I I remember asking one of the engineers like, "Look, what's your desert island mic?" right? I think we ask veteran engineers all the time like this kind of question he said it was the km84 yeah and and that's and that little thing i was like oh my god i've never heard my violin like that Reco recorded you know yeah. and um and it, that that's something that i'm that I'm definitely always on the lookout for <laughs> i really wanted to get some rare r21s or like uh coals mm -hmm. yeah and then as soon as i had some at my place i was just a constant like fear that I would accidentally hit the phantom power and just destroy the mics in like yeah. one click, you know? It's like I got rid of them because I was like, I've like, I can't live with this fear every day. <laughs> yeah, or like if you accidentally blow wind into it or you have an <laughs> like an AC running, it's like ruined. You're like, damn, this is this is a nice mic, but uh <laughs> I the practicality of it, at least, you know, in home studio settings is it's it's not that great. Yeah. Well, you, you can only hear a tech talk. Do you want to tell uh, the people what you got going on? In terms of work? 
yeah, new project and, and I guess, yeah, album stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, both Holler and and the Cowboy soundtracks are coming out shortly in, in November. And um, that's going to be released by Kevin Gardner Recordings. Um, and really excited about that, uh, of course. And um, the uh, other things that I'm working on, uh, I've got two feature-length docs. Um, one is called Fire Through Dry Grass. Uh, another one... Um, is untitled but it's a it's it's a doc by Nadav Kurtz who's directing um I'm working on a a new short and uh I'm working on a a new feature uh narrative called Cabrini it's a biopic directed by Alejandro Monteverdi um that's really exciting it's a big movie um amazing talent uh it's something that I've never done in, as a composer in terms of the scale in which, you know, I, I got into that project doing pre-records and doing the score as well. Um, there's a lot of pre-recorded material. Um, it's a full orchestral score. So it's, it, that's something I'm really excited about. You know, there's like opera in it and I get to really mess around and experiment with what opera sounds like and how we can, make it sound more interesting you know for like younger audiences or just modern audiences and i grew up with opera my father is actually an opera teacher so i know the stuff like the back of my hand um but um you know i think that that's something that's something i'm really excited about um it's still in production but amazing yeah well looking forward to it and Gina, it was such a pleasure having you on the podcast yeah thank you so much it's been a real pleasure meeting you matthew thanks for listening to this episode of composer talk if you like what we're doing feel free to follow us on instagram or facebook the show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible eric bard who's also a talented composer producer and mixer Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong.